So, so this letter, Paul's letter to the Colossians is, is really a beautiful letter. And we, we actually are getting the title of the series, Images, from the passage in Paul's letter that comes uh, in a sermon that will happen probably next week. Uh, he is the image of the invisible God, Jesus, speaking of Jesus. And so you know, the heartbeat of this letter is we're recognizing that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. When you look at Jesus, you're looking at God. And... Also, when people look at us, we want them to see Christ in us. We want to be an image of God in the flesh. And so that's a very simple overview of what's going to happen. But what we're going to do today is I'm just going to teach you the first 14 verses uh, and really hone in on the first eight. But let me tell you a little bit about uh, Colossae, okay? The city that these people live in that Paul's writing this letter to. Uh, it was a relatively small, unimportant city in the first century. So Colossae was not a large city. Uh, Paul, who wrote this letter to this fledgling church in Colossae, had never actually been there. A person responsible for preaching the gospel there is a man by the name of Epaphras. So look to your neighbor and say, Epaphras. If anybody's looking for names for their next child, that's a beautiful <laughs> name. I would give you the freedom to... Uh, it would be a good one to name somebody after. Uh, he, he lived in Colossae, but he had been visiting Ephesus about 100 miles away while Paul was there. Now, Paul was in Ephesus around 55 AD. And the letter by Paul is written around 60 AD. So the church is around five years old when Paul is writing to deal with, uh, to encourage them also to deal with some major issues that have come up in this church in Colossae. Now, I am not sure what the day was like when Epaphras was in Ephesus and heard the good news of the gospel. But it's worth noting, it's worth thinking about this day that Epaphras heard Paul proclaim the gospel because it moved him to believe and it moved him to go back to his hometown of Colossae and tell people the message that he had received. Now, just for a minute, let me just explain to you a bit about what's happening in Ephesus while Paul's ministering there. Again, I don't know the exact day that Epaphras heard the good news, but, uh, but I do know a little bit about what it was like for Paul when he was ministering in Ephesus. He was there about two years, and we read about it in the book of Acts. You know, the book of Acts is kind of like history of the earliest days of the church. And so if you want to turn to Acts chapter 19, you can. I'm just going to highlight a few verses that describe a little bit about what it was like for Paul as he was preaching the gospel. And on one of these days, Epaphras was in the crowd, heard the good news, and believed it. Now, it's interesting, I think, to consider the environment that Epaphras heard the gospel in, because no doubt the place that we hear the good news of the gospel and the environment that we're in when we hear about Jesus for the very first time, it, it impacts the way we take that good news and share it with other people, right? I mean, the way you talk about the gospel or Jesus with your friends is no doubt impacted by the way that your small group leader has talked to you about the gospel or somebody discipling you or maybe even what you've heard in here. 
Well, Acts chapter 19 talks a little bit about Paul and a few others that are ministering in Ephesus. And look here in verse 8. Uh, it describes this. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. So here's Ephesus. It's a city that's most known for their worship of this false god, Artemis. And they uh, not only did people worship this god and the way that they worshiped for this god was very immoral and corrupt and really messed up, but to them it had become very normal. But the businesses in Ephesus uh, were dependent upon people's worship of this God. Like they, some of the businesses sold uh, idols or items depicting this God. And so for Paul to be ministering in Ephesus and calling people to repentance and faith in some other God than this false God, uh, as you can imagine, it was going to cause trouble. And people didn't believe him right away, but he spends three months in one synagogue, which is kind of like church for Jewish people. He's in there for three months speaking boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom. This is interesting. So maybe Epaphras heard the gospel while Paul was visiting uh, this Jewish synagogue and was reasoning with people, wrestling with people intellectually. So eventually... Paul left that synagogue and went to another place in town. And God's spirit was on Paul. Look at verse 11. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Listen. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came upon them. Now, I don't know about all that, but to me, it sounds pretty awesome. It sounds awesome that Paul is so filled with the Spirit and God is using him so mightily in Ephesus that someone could even just take a handkerchief, touch Paul with it, take it to a sick person, and that person would be healed. Maybe on one of those days, Epaphras heard the gospel and responded to it. Verse 23 describes another situation in Ephesus. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. So now, the way, which is what they very first, in the very early days of Christianity, called Christianity, the way. Uh, it's causing all kinds of problems in the city. It's causing a disturbance. Look at verse 24. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who had made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said basically this. Hey, these guys are messing up our business. Their proclamation of this good news is really messing up our society. It's messing up our culture. It's messing up the way people uh, live and function. It's disrupting the rhythm of our city. And the people in verse 28 became enraged Paul stayed there and ministered for two years. I don't know the day that Epaphras heard the good news of Jesus Christ, but I do know that what he witnessed was powerful. He witnessed this man by the name of Paul who was not afraid to share Christ in a very hostile environment. He witnessed this man by the name of Paul who was incredibly intelligent, who had done his homework, who was prepared to reason with the most intelligent people in the city. He witnessed 
the gospel and the proclamation of the gospel by Paul in an environment where Paul's life was threatened. Could have been arrested for it. So something about the way that Epaphras witnessed this proclamation of the gospel impacted him so deeply that he went back to Colossae and over the course of that hundred miles of walking to Colossae, I really wonder what he was thinking. This is pure speculation, but just speculate with me, if you will. He, he's going back a hundred mile journey. He's heard the good news. He's received it. His life is being changed by the spirit. He's a new person. He follows a new God. And so he's thinking to himself, two options. Don't tell people or tell people. Consider this. He has every reason in the world not to tell people. I mean, he had just witnessed how this faith could, could endanger somebody. He had just witnessed in Ephesus how this good news could get somebody thrown in prison. He had just witnessed how the good news, um, it required some intellectual discipline. It required some effort to show up to the synagogue every, every day for three months to reason with people that were somewhat argumentative. So he had every reason in the world not to tell people. Not only had he seen its difficulty, the difficulty of the work, but he knew what it was like in Colossae. Uh, the, the Colossians are described by Paul a little later in the letter as being utterly out of harmony with God, enmeshed in idolatry, slaves to sin, hostile to God in mind, and godless in their actions. This is what he's going back to. A group of heathens, of godless people. Maybe that's how you think about your job tomorrow. <laughs> You're like, you don't know what it's like in my workplace. People are really, really antagonistic towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or, or people are really, really smart and intellectual. So Epaphras is on his way back to Colossae, and he's wondering, should I tell people? I mean, he has every reason in the world not to tell people. But something supernatural had happened inside of him. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead had been put inside of him. This is what happens at salvation. The same power that raises Jesus from the dead is given to you. So Epaphras goes back to Colossae. And I wonder what that first conversation was like. I mean, because he does tell people, as you know. He goes back to the city that he grew up in. I mean, just, just think about this first conversation. Sitting down with his friends. Hey, um, you know how I just was in Ephesus? And his friends were like, yeah. Well, um, there was this guy there by the name of Paul. And everybody wanted to kill him. And um, you know how in Ephesus uh, they all worship Artemis. Everybody's like, yeah, yeah, we know that. And you know how in Ephesus, like if anybody stands up and proclaims some other uh, message of truth, and then not only are they, um, is it possible that they're going to get thrown in prison, but they might even die. His friend's like, yeah, yeah. Well, listen, um, Paul stood up, and here's what he said. He said that God created all things, 
But man rebelled against God. And from the moment that man rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden, God orchestrated the events of history to restore all that's broken to himself. And at just the right time, through this man by the name of Jesus, he went to a cross and then three days later was raised from the dead. I can imagine his friends are like, what? Come on. No, 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 no. Listen, listen to me, Paphra says. All of us will stand before God Almighty and give an account for our lives. We can do nothing on our own to erase the sin in our lives. We'll be held accountable for that sin. But God demonstrated his love by sending this Jesus to die on a cross. He raised him from the dead and through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, our sins can be forgiven and we are given new life. This is the truth. This is the way. Well, Epaphras did that. He shared that message and apparently some people believed. Not only did they believe enough to go, yeah, okay, I believe. But they believed enough to begin sharing it with other people. And this church, this, this ecclesia, this gathering of followers of Christ become greater and greater and greater. And they had like a legitimate church there in Colossae. And they begin to grow in the Lord. They begin to hear stories about Jesus. They begin to understand the, the stories of the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus as the Christ. Their lives begin to change and two things began to come out of their lives. Faith in Christ and love for others. With this as the backdrop, let's consider Paul's letter to the Colossians. Paul writes this letter after this church has gone for about five years. We're not exactly sure how large the church is. Epaphras has visited Paul while Paul was in prison in Rome in about 60 AD. Epaphras has told uh, Paul about what's going on in Colossae, about a lot of good things and then also some challenges. And so Paul writes this letter and we see in verse one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace, grace to you and peace from God, our father. It's a traditional greeting. We always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Remember, I mentioned this last week. He's, 
acknowledging God's presence in their lives. He's thanking God for how God's working in them. And then there's two, thing that he, two things that he recognizes in them. Verse four, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Now I mentioned these things last week. If you were not here, you can go listen to the message online. But these two things, uh, Paul recognizes as evidences of God working in their lives. Faith in Christ Jesus and their love for other believers. And so Paul uh, recognizes these things and they're, they're enough that Paul, the apostle, is going to take time to address them, to affirm them, and to, 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 he's going to take time to pray for this little fledgling church. I mean, they're not a joke. He wants to encourage them. I mean, these are evidences of God working in their lives. Now, the city of Colossae may have been known as godless, unrefined, and people who are entangled in sin, but there was a group of people within the city who were known as faithful to Jesus Christ and loving to one another. The word had gotten back. And it just makes sense, right? I mean, it reminds us of when Jesus is talking and he's telling his followers how they ought to live in a very dark world. Matthew chapter five, verse 14, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So just as Jesus is telling his disciples, Paul is recognizing in these disciples of Jesus Christ that live in Colossae, that their light is shining and it looks like faith in Jesus Christ and love for other believers. But he makes it very clear how that faith and love got in their lives. Because all of us would say, yeah, I want to be a person who has faith in Jesus Christ and I want to be a person who's known as loving. It was not by their own effort. In fact, this faith and love came because in part, their hope is not in this world. Do you see that verse there? Verse five. I recognize your faith and love because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You see, to get recognizable faith and love, our hope must not be put in anything this world has to offer. And every one of us is tempted to put our hope in something that will produce something other than faith in Christ and love for others. Uh, bear with me. The unbeliever, those that have not yet repented of their sin and placed their faith in Jesus Christ, tend to put their hope in things like intellect, their, their own minds, their own systems that they can come up with. The unbeliever tends to put their hope in government, like, if we could just get our government doing what it's supposed to do, then everything would be better. The unbeliever tends to put their hope in innovation. Man, my life is terrible. But when that iPhone 5S comes out, I think it's going to probably help me get through. <laughs> the unbeliever tends to put ultimate hope in innovation. If we could just figure out something to make my life a little easier. Or in educated people, we put our hope in people that know a lot and speak eloquently. Uh, the unbeliever tends to put their hope in material things. If I could just get enough money, 
There's a man that I'm regularly sharing Christ with and reasoning with, and he has made it very clear that his aim is to get to this place financially where there's this kind of like, there's this quality of life that will then satisfy him unapologetically. His hope, his ultimate hope is in material things. If I can just get this amount of money in my bank account so I don't have to worry about having more money and I can just do whatever I want. The unbeliever puts ultimate hope in immediate gratification. Just moving from one immediate gratification to another. One activity that satisfies for a moment and then it's gone. Satisfies for a moment and it is gone. And unbelievers move from these things and then they just string them all together and uh, over time they just fail them. And maybe you're a believer and you tend to put your hope in some of those things. But as believers, sometimes followers of Jesus Christ put the ultimate hope in something other than heaven. Uh, we, we put our ultimate hope in denomination, which, which doesn't totally apply to, to us because we've um, positioned ourselves where we're not totally suffocated by the trappings of denominationalism, although we're gladly supported by and partnering with some different denominations. But, but sometimes a believer puts hope in a, in a way of doing church. Or maybe the, the believers tend to put their hope in preachers. You, you put your hope in a person or maybe a type of church strategy. So your hope is, if I can just find the church that does small groups just right, you're putting your ultimate hope in a church strategy. Or if I could just find a church that is really doing missions locally really, really well. I mean, that's really your aim and your passion and your focus. And, your, and really what it is, your ultimate hope is there. Or moralism. Believers tend to put hope in moralism. I mean, really, you begin to think, well, if I could just quit doing all bad things and be really, really moral, then, then, then my life would be better. And um, these things are, will not provide the kind of hope that we must, that we want to die for. And I say these things because I really think, um, although the, some of them are outright obvious, right? Placing our hope in these things. But, but most of these things creep into our lives. And, and what, I, what I'm doing by listing these things off is I, as I'm hoping that I can kind of, kind of root out of you these things that you might be putting your hope in that will keep you from growing in your faith and love. So I've said to get recognizable faith and love, our hope must not be put in anything in this world. So where should we put our hope? Well, Paul says it put, they put their hope in heaven, which just sounds strange, right? So they all want to die? And that's kind of what it sounds like. But by saying that their hope is in heaven, what they're saying is that, what Paul's saying is that their hope is in heaven because Jesus Christ is there. And their hope is centered on Jesus Christ. So their hope is not in this life, not in the things that this world has to offer. Their hope is in heaven. So there's a supernatural activity going on where their hope is in heaven and what is grown in them is faith in Jesus Christ 
and love for other believers. This is what makes them recognizable by Paul as worthy of his prayers and worthy of him thanking God for their lives. And, and this is interesting to talk about our hope being in heaven. And, and maybe, maybe for you, it'd be good to hear that for the believers, did you know that Jesus Christ, uh, he was crucified, raised from the dead. He ascended in bodily form into heaven. And in heaven right now, what he's doing is he's preparing a place for you and for me. He's preparing a place for you. In fact, the Bible says that he has to leave and he's going to go prepare a place and then he's going to return at just the right time to restore and judge all that is broken and is still um, not right with God. And then you will receive your full inheritance, which is eternity with God. John chapter 14. Let not your hearts, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in my, in me. Listen, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, Uh, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. Our hope is to be centered on heaven, to be centered on Jesus because Jesus is there preparing a place for us. And then Hebrews 7.25 says that he's not only there preparing a place for us, he's there interceding for us, which is a little thick theologically, but what it basically means is that Jesus is standing between us and God the Father making uh, making intercession for us and, and standing in our place with God the Father. Their hope is in heaven. means that their hope is in Jesus Christ, which is how they've become these kinds of people. The kind of people whose faith in Christ and love for others is recognizable. You say, well, how do I get that kind of a hope? Do you just try to hope? No. This kind of hope comes when we hear the gospel and it takes root in us. And it grows in us. Look at the second half of verse 5 of Colossians chapter 1. Of this, talking about the gospel, you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. The gospel. So they've heard the gospel, they've responded to the gospel. The good news, this is what the word gospel means. It means good news. And the good news is that God created all things. Man rebelled against him. God began working through the events of history to restore all that's been broken to him. Finally, through the person and work of Jesus Christ, who died on a cross and was raised from the dead, for all those that repent of their sin and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord, You have your sins forgiven and there will be a day when Jesus returns and you receive your full inheritance. You receive eternity with God. For all those 
that die without having repented of their sin and placing their faith in Jesus Christ, the good news becomes bad news because they will spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. This is the gospel. This good news gives us reason to hope in Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this. Will you believe? If you're here and you've never repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, today is the day. Will you believe? Will you believe? And for those of you that have spent a lot of time in church and you wonder why your faith in Christ has not grown and and, and your love for other believers is barely recognizable, maybe the real question for you to get at is not, how do I become more of a person of faith and loving to other believers? The question is, do you really believe in the gospel? Do you really believe that your sin separates you from God and you will stand before God someday and be judged for your sin? Do you believe that? And do you want for God to forgive your sins through the person and work of Jesus Christ? See, there's gotta be this mysterious exchange where your your sin goes to Jesus and his righteousness goes to you. And then what begins to happen in you is the spirit of God begins to shape you and mold you and make you and fashion you into the kind of person whose, whose faith and love are recognizable. Do you believe? If not, then you would say this to God. If in your heart you say, I do believe and I, I want to believe, I choose to believe, then what you would say to God is, God, forgive my sin. I give my life to you. I I hear that Jesus died for my sin. I believe it. Now I want to live the rest of my life in response to that. That's what you call becoming a Christian or being saved. And religion uh, tends, religious systems tend to heap on all kinds of other activities around that simple hearing the gospel and responding in faith. But let me tell you, in the Bible, when somebody, when Paul proclaimed this message in Ephesus, he proclaimed it and then people responded to it and they went from being enemies of God to friends of God, one of them being Epaphras. Which leads me to my next question, to the believers in here. Most of you are believers. Uh, what, what keeps you well, first, uh, where is your hope other than in heaven, Jesus Christ? Where is it? You know where, you know where I tend to put my hope? In, in my ability to, to think about things. My ability to come up with a plan. I, I tend to put too much hope in, uh, in me and Andrew and JJ and Cody and and uh, Kristen and Kelly, and our kind, of, our kind of ability to come up with a cool idea so we can get the word out there. I tend to put too much hope. And those things are important. Working hard at those things are important. But I tend to put too much hope there. You know where I tend to put too much hope in, uh, in parenting? I tend to put too much hope in my ability to not, to, uh, uh, to, to not, be, not do wrong what my parents did wrong. My intellect, the system that I can come up with. Where do you put your hope in this life? You put it in money? Do you think, if I just had a little bit more money, then I would be deeply satisfied? 
You know who the most miserable people in the world are? They're the wealthiest people in the world. That is the truth. And I know what you're thinking. Test me, Lord. (laughs) Where do you put your hope? And it may be a little thing, a subtle thing. And what I'm saying to you is acknowledge it and then and, and, then, and then ask God to root it out of you because what it does is it keeps you from, from being the kind of person whose hope is so centered on Jesus Christ that your faith is strengthened and your love for others is recognizable. What, what, where is that hope other than in Jesus Christ? Is it? In the immediate gratification of pornography, in the immediate gratification of a drug, is it in the immediate gratification of a relationship or some sort of something at work? What is it? Acknowledge it so it can be rooted out of you so that you can be the kind of follower of Jesus Christ that I think Epaphras was. Who who believes so deeply that he went back to Colossae and he shared with people about the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. He shared the good news of the gospel. And so my other question for you that are believers, what keeps you from going back to your hometown, your place of work or your neighborhood? What keeps you from going back there and sharing the good news? You say, Russell, you, you don't know how hard it is. Really? Last I checked, none of you could be thrown in prison for sharing Christ. Not yet. The day will come. I promise you. Last I checked, uh, none of you are going to be beat up for sharing Christ. So quit making excuses. They're sorry. You know what happens in Colossae, about a year after Paul writes this letter to them, there's an earthquake and it destroys the city. Isn't that interesting? I mean, if just think of the timing of this. Epaphras hears the gospel in Ephesus. He goes back to Colossae. He has basically five years to share the gospel and to disciple and minister to these people. And he gets the word to Paul. Paul deals, addresses, uh, affirms the good stuff. And then he's dealing with some bad stuff, which we'll talk about in the next few weeks. And, and, and then he has basically a year after he receives a letter to continue discipling. And no doubt, if the city was destroyed, people died. And see, part of the problem uh, with our lives is that we're so busy doing so many good things that we neglect the best thing, which is sharing with people the good news that is transforming our lives. Giving to people hope in the midst of so much hopelessness. So what keeps you from going back to your hometown and sharing Christ? You say, well, you don't know how smart people are. You know what? That's not a good enough excuse. Russell, you don't know how hard it is. No excuse. Go back to your hometown, and what I have in mind is your neighborhood. Find a way to meet your neighbors. Invite them into your life. Invite them to faith conversations. Share the gospel with them. 
I may have mentioned this last week, and for those of you who are here and you're not believers in Jesus Christ, uh, I, I don't want this to make you feel awkward, but just for a moment, let, let me just address uh, the followers of Christ in here. So about a month ago, I hit a point in church leadership where I was like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I, don't, I do not know what to do next. Uh, and, and I just kind of like thought to myself, God, what, what do you want me to do next? And, uh, and I couldn't think of any good ideas. So as this boiled down into, like, well, I know this, I may or may not be living in the house that I'm living in right now in six months or one month. And so I want to, I want to take responsibility for the geography around me. I want to take responsibility for my block. I may be the only person on that block that's willing to take the good news and share it with people that have not received it. I may be. God, that's why God may have put me there. So I felt some urgency. So I um, invited people on my block and the one behind me to a block party. And the purpose of the block party was not so that I could stand up and share Christ with everybody. The purpose of the block party was just to love people, just to encourage people, be friendly to people. So we had 50 people show up. And of those 50, maybe five or six were people that it seemed like God began opening up some doors of conversation. Last week or two weeks ago, one of those families came. Uh, I'd never had the opportunity to share the gospel with them. They came, heard the gospel, and it really moved their hearts. Now, that's not rocket science. That's simply, and I'm not doing this to like pat myself on the back, but at the end of the day, if I don't do it, I'm the, you know, it's like this is an example of how it can be done. Take responsibility for your neighborhood. Take responsibility for your block. And here's what you might think. Well, I'm so busy. I promise you, you're not busier than I got. I mean, there are lots of busy people in here, okay? Don't, make, don't allow those excuses because who knows what's going to happen in a year. A year after the letter was received by Colossians, there was an earthquake and the city was destroyed. And I certainly am not going to be a prophet of doom, but in our own city, there will be a day where it's illegal to stand up and talk about Jesus. And so do it now while it's a little easier. If you want help on doing, doing that and ministering your neighborhood, let me know. Let's pray together.